BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodInToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by Twitter, a safe space for opinions you already agree with, or you better, and fast. A few years ago, I wrote a column calling myself an accidental culture warrior. I didn't get into journalism for that reason, but it just happened. And things have changed a little bit since then. Not everything, though. I'm still a journalist. I'm an opinion columnist. And if you're listening to the show, I think you may know that I'm a podcaster. So on paper, I'm the same guy, at least professionally speaking. But there's been one change, and I wanted to really discuss it this week. I'm a little scared. There are some topics I shy away from in the public space, and some of them really make sense, at least as far as I can tell. Economics is one. I just don't have a deep dive of information and knowledge I can share on the issue, so I kind of avoid that. The situation in Ukraine is another issue I just don't talk about that much. I don't have any foreign relations experience. I don't have anything significant to add to the conversation. And I think a kind of a bland, generic, even dumbfounded hot take, this isn't worth really sharing. So I avoid it. But the change I'm talking about, the subjects I don't talk about as much, it's a little bit different. Now, these are actually in my wheelhouse because they overlap with entertainment. Think about anything related to the trans community and Hollywood. Then, of course, there's Disney and their latest push to promote the LGBTQ agenda. These are landmines in the culture wars. You say the wrong thing or even flirt with the wrong idea or opinion, there's consequences, and they could be pretty big. So I tread carefully here, very carefully at times, and I'm not proud of that. It's one of the reasons why I applaud the Daily Wire for what they're doing right now. And just for clarity's sake, I am a contributor to the site, not a full-time employee, but I'd be saying exactly what I'm saying right now. If I were not involved with them, full-time, whatever, I just really appreciate what they're doing. 
Now, do I agree with everything that they say, everything their opinion columnists say? Absolutely not. I, I'm sure that I differ quite a bit in certain areas. But you know what? They have power, both the cultural kind and the monetary kind, apparently, and they're using it to push back and support free speech and blast free speech restrictions. And they're also speaking for millions of Americans who are really afraid to say certain subjects aloud, certain opinions aloud. So why can't I do the same? I mean... Not the Daily Wire, but I could do it. Well, I don't have the same resources as the Daily Wire. I'm not someone like J.K. Rowling, who has the wealth and means to survive a significant, sizable cancel culture attack, which is what she's basically endured the last couple of years. I can't bounce back from cancellation like the big and powerful can these days. I've got a family to consider, and it makes me weigh my words really carefully these days. And I'm not proud of that, but it's just a reality. And of course... I'm not alone. Far from it. And, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is comedians and, and the things that they say and the things they don't say for fear of cancellation. Now, Bill Maher, who I don't agree with politically, but he's been so wise on all the things cancel culture, he weighed in on this topic far better than I could recently. For all those who are constantly demanding an apology for jokes, maybe it's you who should apologize to us for all the great jokes that we never got to hear, the brilliant thoughts that were never uttered, those are the invisible scars of cancel culture. Let's have a moment of silence for that and a spot in the in memoriam package. And he's right. Again, what Mar is talking about, it matters. Now, he has the wealth, the cloud, the HBO platform, and, of course, the comedy cachet because he's been doing this so long to say these things. But, you know, I think what we need to remember is that we're not helpless in this situation. And even though I'm holding back to a certain degree, I'm not helpless either. It's something we really can't stop saying. We can all do our part when it comes to protecting free speech and promoting liberty, even if we are, again, pulling a few punches. Now, for me, what does that mean? Well, I like to elevate voices like Tyler Fisher. He's a great comedian. He's going to be the guest later on this episode. And he isn't just funny. I mean, he's really funny. But he's a free speech warrior. He's taken a stand against, against vaccine mandates in a way that many, many other people haven't. Have you heard Tom Hanks talk about that? Nope. George Clooney? Uh-uh. Meryl Streep? Not a chance. Tyler Fisher did. And I'm really glad to spread his comedy far and wide as much as I can with my platforms. It actually reminds me of that Ralph Wiggum meme that goes around. He's from The Simpsons where he says, I'm helping. You know, I, I think I am to a certain degree. Now, my website, hollywoodandtoto.com, blatant plug, I, I, I love to shine a light on big tech censorship. It happens a lot. Happened again just a few days ago if you go check out my site. And it's something that a lot of outlets don't do. Even the best of the best, even people on the right sometimes really don't shine a light in this arena. It's important. And I love giving a platform to artists who are fighting back in their own way. Now, this podcast, Right on Hollywood, will keep doing the best it can to follow Bill Maher's lead. In this climate, though, I think everyone has to make their own decisions on how far they can push back, when to push back. And I hope you all join me, but do it on your own terms and think about your family's future when you do it. We can all be culture warriors, accidental or otherwise. And that's something the censorious left may not fear right now. 
but they should. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial? As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week's Toto's take is King of Thieves. The 2018 drama is based on real events, but that's not the real reason to check it out. It stars Michael Caine, who now at 89... It's not going to be around forever. I hate to say that. He is an absolute cinematic treasure. I've just adored him for years and years. And he always brings something cool and interesting and special to everything he's in. From movies like Shock to the System, which was in the late, 90, late 80s, I believe, an excellent movie. Even Jaws 4. I mean, he's just something special. And if you haven't seen Jaws 4, and it's not a good movie, uh, do a quick Google search on why Michael Caine made that movie. It's just a very... It's a very honest and sober assessment. And, of course, if you can think about what he says in that Michael Caine voice, it's even better. But uh, in this movie, King of Themes, he's playing uh, part of an elderly gang, and they're going to go rob a bank. This is a pretty big bank, and it's pretty impenetrable. But there's a will, there's a way, and they've got all the experience in the world. But I think, I think it's the things I, one of the things I noticed about the film is that it's, um, it's brisk. The musical bed, the soundtrack, the songs selected are very kind of zippy, uplifting. I think when you're dealing with a movie with elderly people, you don't want it to feel elderly. It doesn't at all. There's a lot of quick cuts here, a lot of flashy editing. It it, it all works together. It's also a chance to see Michael Caine again. You know, how many more roles does he have left in him? I don't think his character here is amazing, but it's Michael Caine. He really does add something to everything he does, and it certainly applies here. And one of the things I love about the movie is that it talks about the whole honor among thieves that we talk about so often. Yeah, not so much. These old codgers hate each other. They're constantly fighting the banter. The snappy dialogue is really well written and well delivered. So good, good stuff here on that front. Now, King of Thieves is not a great movie. It feels undernourished at times. I think the tension that they're trying to build in the third act doesn't really fall in place. But it's never dull. And again, that dialogue is so good. And you get Michael Caine again. For me, that's enough. The King of Thieves is a pretty new addition to Netflix. And if you're a Caineaholic like I am, why don't you give it a try? It's not an accident. Right on Hollywood interviews a lot of comedians. I'm really fascinated by a modern comedian in our age. How they work, how they promote themselves, the way they navigate cancel culture and those old woke landmines we talked about earlier. It's interesting to me, especially the ones who are very funny and very accomplished or even more fascinating. Uh, Tyler Fisher falls directly into that category. He's very funny. He's an actor. He's a podcaster. He's got a great show. Uh, Stand-up comedian, of course, and I feel like he's been so busy so often. He might have a few other gigs by the time this whole episode wraps. Now, few comics are better and, and better at doing unusual voices than Tyler. I want to check out his clip. This is a parody of that oh-so-cringeworthy I Take Responsibility video they made, I guess it was two years ago, shortly after George Floyd's death, a bunch of white personalities saying they take responsibility for racism, such and such. Well, in this little snippet, you'll hear Owen Wilson, Aaron Paul, and Jim Carrey. And while you'll love the audio, do check out his website. Go to his YouTube channel because the video is even better. He's a great performer as well as an impressionist, but... Just give it a look, or a listen, I should say. 
I mean, I take full responsibility. I feel like if I wasn't as white as I am, this would have never happened. Wow. Yo, I take responsibility for Will Smith being a bitch. <laughs> he needs more money. Stop giving it to white people, yo. Give it to Will, yo. Hi there. Oh, you'd like me to take responsibility for you. Really? It's the spineless Hollywood elites. They did this. They're weak and they need to be destroyed. Nutile is also starring in a new movie coming this summer. It's called Terror on the Prairie, co-starring Gina Carano and the great Nick Searcy. Now, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I was on set a few months ago, and I have to say my spider senses were saying, I think Tyler's going to steal this movie. I really do. So I can't wait to see that one. Again, this summer coming soon. Uh, and that's at the Daily Wire, exclusively at the Daily Wire. But I think the best thing about Tyler Fisher lately is that he's a free speech warrior. And he doesn't just virtue signal, not just a few tweets here and there, a few comments, some social media posts trying to push his agenda. His life, his career, and his art are all about embracing the right to be funny and the right to be free on his terms. And that wasn't easy. I think he's really kind of broken through in a major way. And he'll share more about that journey in the conversation coming up. But it's rare, it's important, and it's worth celebrating. Tyler Fisher is very funny, but he's also very brave. And I'm proud to share this chat with a very funny fellow. Tyler, thank you for joining the show. Now, there's a lot of different ways I can enter the conversation, but I'm going to be a bit selfish. I'm always fascinated by people who do incredible impressions, and that's kind of you to a T. You're amazing at it. Can you just share a little bit about two things? One, how you developed that skill, and is this something that is a skill that, that most people can get better at? You think that maybe it's there's something innate about <clears throat> you and your and your vocal biology that makes it possible obviously you bring the funny that's a different thing but just maybe just break that down a little bit because i just well, i'm so intrigued excuse me excuse me frankly <laughs> christian i don't i think you're confusing me with somebody else right <laughs> you're so confused and i'm looking at your picture you look high as a kite and uh they say sir don't talk to this lunatic. um yeah i don't know uh i think uh as a kid i started imitating uh my teachers and stuff oh. i was a very un like unruly kid I couldn't focus in class, probably have some undiagnosed ADD and AIDS and all sorts of stuff. But uh, so, so that's kind of how it started. And, and the kids would laugh and I would, you know, my teacher would go to the bathroom and I would like put on, you know, even if it was a female teacher, I'd like put on her, her, her coat or if she had like a, a dress <laughs> in a bag or something, I would dress up as her and start teaching the class and she'd come back in and I'm, you know, acting like a maniac. And, uh, and you know, then I'd be suspended for a week and I'd get a week off of school and my parents wouldn't punish me. So I was like, this, there's something to this. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it meant less time at school. And so, um, yeah, just always, always imitated people and then, uh, ended up, getting my act together by doing uh, theater in, in uh, high school, at, uh, late in high school and in college. And the first play um, uh, was, uh, uh, um, what was it? Stuff Happens. Was it Stuff Happens? It was, a, it was, a sh it was about uh, uh, George Bush. It was about everything that led into 9-11. And you know, it's it's Tony Blair and all these these political figures, and I'm 18 and five foot two, so there was no role for me. It was like, oh, I'm not going to be in this this uh, this play, and I decided to read for the role of George Bush, 
George W. Bush. And uh, I went home and I, you know, I just started, you know, like just doing a little laugh and that stuff. And it just like came out and uh -huh. I auditioned and they're dying. And I got the role as George Bush as like an 18 year old in a pretty serious play. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then it was, that was it. It was all over after that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you, if you discover uh, a new personality, a new actor and someone on the scene and you want to kind of incorporate them into your repertoire, what's that process like? Is it just listening to them over and over again? Is there, is there a process or does it happen organically in each and every case? Yeah, I think, I think I do have to sit down and focus. Like, you know, when I started doing Fauci, that was because I got an audition for the voice of Fauci on, I don't know if it was Stephen Colbert's show, My Cartoon President, or one of those things. And it's, you know, it was a big opportunity because that would be a, um, a recurring role mm -hmm. because it, this was during the pandemic. So that was it. I, I just had to learn it, you know, within two days. And then didn't get the role. It came down to me and another guy, and I said, well, well don't, don't waste that. You can still do the impression. Mm -hmm. So then I started studying him a little bit. But it starts with they have to have an interesting voice. Trump's voice is like, it's like listening to jazz. It's so bizarre, and it, it, you can't really follow. the. It's a weird pattern. So, you know, there's guys like, I, you know, like, like Ron DeSantis. Someone's like, well, he might be president. Can you do him? And I don't think... I don't think that would be a fun impression to do because there's nothing particularly that sticks out with his voice. Yeah. So I usually start with, you know, Woody Allen, Owen Wilson, like people that have, have interesting voices. And then, then if you can get a couple words down, um, then, then that's all you need. You can start there. It's like a building block. I noticed when you did Trump before, and by the way, your Trump is severely underrated. It's one of the best I've heard. But you, I, I like <laughs> where you trail off on some of your phrases and that's a typical Trump move. And I, I, I think that's what <laughs> yeah. makes you different than most is that you get that very specific nuance down that really sells it. Not just that. I mean, I think anyone can do a Trump, not even a good Trump, but I think when I, I just noticed that as you were saying it before, you're uh, right. You're <laughs> right. Yeah. He does trail off everything. You know, Nancy Pelosi, she's so, she's so stupid. And you know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, yeah, he kind of peters off, and uh, it's it's so it's he's, he, off. he's fa it's fascinating to study him talk. He's off to the next thought. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah. what people may not know about you, you have a classical training in the arts. You're an actor. You're obviously, your stand-up comedy, uh, you know, that's what you do. You're a podcaster mm -hmm. now, and I think what you've done at this stage in your career is you're doing this on your terms, which is obviously uh, a legitimately brave thing to do. But I, I wonder maybe you can talk about why you've been able to succeed. I, I know it's your talent, obviously. I'm not dismissing that. But yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people would like to do what you do, to blaze your own trail, to kind of say, you know, I'm going to do this on my terms, and they don't. And I, I want to speak to artists like you who I think can inspire others. So are there, are there things you can maybe tell us that you learned along the way that made it, if not easier, that made it possible? Sure, yeah. Well, first, I guess, important to say, like, it was never quite the plan. I really believed and trusted the like the industry and I know it's corrupt just as much as you know like apparently you know <laughs> the medical department and the government could be mm -hmm. corrupt I didn't imagine that could happen but um so I really you know I I, I believed in myself and I was just good enough where if I was doing stand-up and an agent would see me in a comedy club every couple months or once a year somebody would come up and go you should be on SNL or mm -hmm. you've got what it takes so 
I had just enough support and trust where I thought, okay, if I get one of these agents, I can get auditions and compete. And if I get, you know, X roles a year, I'll, I'll have a good living, you know, then that might launch me to be able to produce my own stand-up special or get a Netflix thing. So, so I, I really was playing by the rules of the industry and then something just started to shift and uh, I, I, it didn't make sense. I would have, you know, sometimes famous comedians say, you know, give me high praise after seeing my set or something. But I, and they'd go, you know, what clubs are you at? And I'd say, I'm not at any clubs. And they'd be like, what the, f what are you talking <laughs> about? You're not at the, I go, yeah, no, I'm, and I'm, but I was trying, I wasn't waiting for anybody. Mm -hmm. I would go to the club. I would do the open mics. I would film my set and bring it to the booker and go, Hey, I just filmed myself, you know, killing in front of eight people, you know, at, at two in the morning. Uh, so I was very proactive. And, and at one point it, I just, it was like, this isn't, this doesn't make sense anymore. And I don't think it was a, a like an ego thing. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, um, I had the drive, I had the agent, I had the big manager. I flew out to LA and met with Jim Carrey's manager and sat with him and, was represented by them, uh, but nothing happened. Like I'm talking, like one. I, I signed with um, a Mosaic, which they represent. They're Jim Carrey and a lot of great people. In a, in an entire year, I got one audition. Wow! And to make a living as an actor, you know, you need to be auditioning every day, because if you book one out of fifty role uh, auditions, like that's not that bad. So so that's it was more of a survival thing that really forced me to go, I'm on my own here. And the pandemic really solidified that because yeah. now I can't do the clubs and I can't audition. And then because, uh, you know, I don't care about talking about my medical choices, but it's relevant today because the whole idea of revealing your, your, your vaccine status has now changed, but I didn't get the vaccine. So now, now it was like, oh, I can't go into these clubs. I won't be able to work on SAG jobs. So it's either I do this or I quit. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to be shy about like, like how extreme the measures were that forced me to do it. But inevitably, it forced that sort of structured life and like repetitive filming and editing and stuff. So, you know, that is still useful for people to know they can apply that and, um, and have a shot at building a, a fan base. And then you've got a fan base, you can fund your own stuff and, and tour or whatever your art may be. Mm -hmm. um, so that yeah, it, it was really a survival thing that that leapt me into the next kind of phase of like, you know, I'm, I'm self-producing this stuff now. Yeah. And I think there's two lessons there. I think it's trusting your talent and abilities and also the perseverance you had. You could have quit or kind of went in a different direction at any point, but you kept kind of grinding. And I think a lot of success stories involve that kind of grinding effort. So, so obviously good for you. Uh, no, I was lucky to meet you on the set of Terror on the Prairie. It's coming out this summer. It's a Daily Wire Western. Yeah. I don't oh, know much. Funny, yeah. <laughs> I don't know much about the movie though. Is there anything you can share about your character and, or just tease the movie itself? Because I, I know there's lots of secrecy. You don't want to give away stuff. I completely understand. But give us, give yeah, us a little you're something. You're talking to a guy. You're talking to a guy who doesn't care about what he says anymore <laughs> at all. So. Well, I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, it's like that's kind of the cool thing. Is like uh -huh. I, I really don't care. And uh, you know, they were like, hey, 
you know, I remember being on the set and going like, oh, my, all my videos at that point were getting like millions of views. And I'm thinking, well, now I'm in like the middle of a prairie, you know, <laughs> covered in mud and like my teeth are grimy. It takes place in the 1800s. And I'm, and I, you know, instead of asking, can I do this? I just kept making my videos, you know, mm-hmm. as Fauci in the, in, you know, in the 1800s and stuff. And, and no one cared, but, um, but anyhow, um, so yeah, it, the, the story is, um, uh, this is post civil war and, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's two, two stories at once. It's a redemption story from, um, from some outlaws, uh, from the civil war who were, you know, the, the in the Confederacy, um, and, and then, you know, Gina Carano is, is, is the, the sort of the, the you know, the, also her own hero. So mm-hmm. like there's, there's two, two, two stories of, of uh, a group trying to be heroic and Gina trying to be heroic by protecting herself. So um, uh, yeah, I guess they didn't really tell me what I couldn't, could have <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, we're a group of out, yeah. outlaws who's on a mission to seek redemption. Uh-huh. And um you know, the, the person we're after is not there and Gina's there. So she gets the brunt of our, our anger and redemption and she has to fend for herself. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's like home alone in the civil war, but that's, that's, that is kind of what it's like, you know, um, we'll put that in the poster. Be good. Ra- rattlesnakes and guns and horses uh-huh. and fires and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looked excellent. I was excited to see the sort of the snippets of it and, uh, I'll be, I'll be, can't wait to see it. Now, I, you know, one of the things you've talked about on your podcast, and we, we, we talked about, it, I think, uh, on that set, is that the discrimination you face for being, you know, gasp white and male in Hollywood. And I know you're, you're doing, you're, you're having a, a lawsuit about this situation against an agency that was discriminated against you. I, I don't want to get too bogged down into that. I know there's a lot of details, but just real quickly, give people sure. a snapshot of, of what's happening because, you know, no one wants anyone to be discriminated against. If there's a person of color who can't get a job because of his skin color, that's a nightmare that we should all fight against. And I think we, I think most sane people do. But yeah. you're facing something that's different but similar. Just real, just real briefly break that down because I, yeah. I, I don't want to yeah. get, I want to yeah, get well, into other I, stuff. But I would say, you know, you know, not to like correct you, but I think people uh, are perfectly fine discriminating against certain mm-hmm. people. And I think, unfortunately, it's taken on such a. a a cultural force that it's acceptable to, you know, and sometimes it's done out of compassion, like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, uh, if minorities haven't gotten as much opportunity, um, instead of figuring out the root of it, we're just going to punish the people that have gotten those jobs or people that look like that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the reality. It's not based in reality because I have nothing to do with that's you know right. John Wayne getting all the roles in, you know, 1950 or whatever. So, um, you know, it does tie into uh, part of why I was with those agents who didn't get me auditions. Uh, oftentimes, they'd be pretty upfront, and I'd say, "What's going on here? You know, you just flew me out and said you're going to make me a star, and and it's like just dead silence." And sometimes they'd say, "Look, like it's just not the time for white guys," and I'm going, "Well, like then what? What the hell are we doing? Mm-hmm. What, what, like." you're not willing to fight for that at all. And, and like you said, if, if someone said, look, you know, black guys aren't just, it's not going to cut it for black guys right now. It's like everybody would be on the, the, the bandwagon to fix that. Yep. 
Um, and, and I don't live by two standards. So, um, so yeah, that was part of it. You know, I didn't want to play a victim too much. And, and this, this nailing over the head of like white men, bad white men, oppressive, like it really did screw me up. I don't, I don't want to, I don't think people understand how much that really affects people. And if they take it on and they really feel guilty, like forget about your lives and dreams because you have to be an animal to make it. You know, I've, I've lost like 99% of the people in my life, like, you know, in the industry because I'm standing up. So it's, it's a huge weight to bear. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, I quit acting for three years. I, I landed a big agent. They, they emailed, said, uh, the email exactly said, sorry, it's tough out there for white dudes. And a week later, they removed me from their roster. They didn't even tell me. They just, they just canned me. And, and I thought, okay, I'm with the biggest, best Asian in the country. And they're saying, we're not willing to fight for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that destroyed my, my hope. And then years went by, I started making my own stuff a little bit. They caught attention and another manager came around and said, you know, you, you got to be on SNL and we're going to get you on curb. And so I waited a few months and then it was silent. And I just said, hey, what's going on? Are we going to work together? And they uh, over the phone said, look, um, I was embarrassed to tell you that this was a junior manager, so they don't have as much pull. They need permission from everybody to sign a new client. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, they're just not willing to, to work with a white man. Yeah. And I was crushed. I mean, I was like, I can't, I can't go through this again. And so I just, uh, I just hit record on my, my computer. <laughs> you know, I had no intention of recording this conversation. In fact, I thought it was going to be an offer to be represented. And um, I, I just said, so can you tell me more about this? You know, is this company policy? And he said, it is. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, talked to my therapist. I, I, you know, I kind of spiraled again to, to a depression after that and had some fans show some support, a lot of support and said, screw it. I'm getting a lawyer. Like this would not stand if this was uh, anyone else of any other color or gender. So why don't I get that protection? You know, under the law, I do have it. So unfortunately, I've got to take this to, to a court. And so, you know, where we're at is that manager was served the papers uh, about a week ago, and I believe they have 30 days to respond. Interesting. And by the way, for Right on yeah. Hollywood listeners, Tyler was kind enough to play me that audio a few months right, back. Right. So, yeah, that's right. I heard it yeah. too. I heard it too. Uh, yeah, because I thought I don't want to be a victim here. I don't mm -hmm. want to like, you know, and, and everyone I played it to goes, well, damn, that is, yeah, yeah. that's that's discrimination, yeah. you know? And I think a few weeks after we had that exchange, there was a pretty major story and Barry Weiss is a pretty intrepid reporter and she put a yeah. piece out that she did not write. Two other reporters did it, talking about very, very similar situations in Hollywood behind the scenes, the discrimination that's going on in plain sight at this point so it's, it's a fascinating yeah. uh sort of a almost a sequel to what you went through uh this may sound like right. a kind of a barbara walters what kind of tree would you be if you were a tree but sure. when you go through this process what do you what have you learned about yourself as an artist that's been interesting or surprising or that is you didn't see coming because i think i, I know when back in the day when i first started reporting i was working way too much and by working so mm -hmm. much i think i became a better writer I was able to work quicker. I, I just improved my skill. Yeah. Now you're kind of behind the scenes. You're shooting, you're editing, you're making videos, you're writing, obviously. 
how have you changed as an artist? Is it is there, is there anything different about you today that maybe that wasn't there five or ten years ago? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know what my voice was. So you spend years doing stand up, kind of trying to find your voice and mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, and so this, this really opened it up to, to tackle, you know, I mean, it, part of it is like the chicken or the egg. I mean, the pandemic happened, and then I was in a defensive mode and only, you know, wasn't living life. It was just Fauci, Fauci, Fauci in the pandemic and racism. So it's like, there wasn't much to, to pick from, but it did force me to, to take on those topics that I would have been afraid to take on. But I think ultimately the, the, the biggest thing is like, okay, yeah, you have to be really free to go anywhere. You know, if you put parameters on your writing or on your jokes or, oh, I can't talk about that or, oh, there's a Asian person in the crowd. I can't make a joke that has an Asian person. In. And I was doing those things previously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I heard a discussion on it last night. It's like, it's back to the freedom of speech thing. Like freedom of speech is the same as freedom of thought. So uh, if you can't say the things you think you're screwed as a person and you're definitely screwed as an artist. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very into personality types and studying psychology. So it's going to depend on your personality. If you're afraid to upset people, that's really tough. And I'm very afraid to upset people. It like cripples me. So, um, you know, you just have to make the choice. I'm going to go for it. It's going to be messy. I'm going to lose fans. I'm going to lose maybe friends. But ultimately, this little test I had of, of, of a year mm -hmm. going from 3,000, you know, maybe, maybe 10,000 followers across platforms to now 500,000, you know, it did give me the, oh, okay, like more people want to hear you know, and yeah. as someone being open than I thought or exploratory or willing to screw up. Yeah, it, it's very refreshing. I had one last question, but before that, I want to kind of give a an extra shout out to your podcast because you mentioned the voice thing. And I think for the writers, there's often the saying, oh, you have to find your voice. And if you get enough reps in, you find your voice. When I listen to your podcast, your voice sounds very complete. And it's not just the fact that you kind of bounce from impression to impression, which is a lot of fun, but there's there's something about your presentation, which is very consistent and very the voice is there, and I think that's really cool to listen to. But uh, Tyler, before that you go, I, I've been asking this a lot, and I, maybe I'm just trying to, to to hope for the the most optimistic version of it. But do you think that we're going to get to a point soon where that kind of free speech, that kind of free thought, makes a comeback? Do, are you hopeful? And, and if you are, are there what, what signs are out there that you see for hope? Sure. I think even, you know, the Daily Wire taking on um, uh, producing movies and, and uh, publishing books that otherwise wouldn't be published by major houses. You know, I think that's really attractive. And I was never a guy, you know, I was afraid of like conservatives and Republicans. I care less about that now and more about, oh, the Daily Wire is willing to let people do what, say what they want. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, they're exploding. And the fact that I basically have my own little TV channel on YouTube. I mean, I'm, I'm up to 140 something thousand subscribers, which is insane. That's great. So, you know, and that's me exercising free speech with no limits or, or censors. And so, you know, there's thousands of pages like that now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, and, and you look at the channels that are dying and no one's watching the Oscars. And so I, I think, uh, you know, you have to, people have to take those steps and, and unsubscribe from those channels or new shows or like I stopped watching Netflix a few years ago. 
So I think um, that'll make room for these new platforms. Yeah, that's a great point. But by, by the way, you and I have talked before. I've interviewed you a few times. I have no idea what your politics are. No, I'm a conservative. This is a right on Hollywood show, so I think we kind of sure. let the cat out of the bag. I don't even know. And I, I, listen, I don't even care because my wife is liberal and we, we, we seem to yeah. get along, and, and you're a great comedian, so I'm always happy to talk to you. But it's it's so interesting that I have no specific clue where you stand on certain legislation <laughs> or anything. And yet, at the yeah. same time, you're a free speech guy, and I, I'm all for that. But uh, Tyler, thank you for joining Right on Hollywood. Of course, check out Tyler's very funny podcast, called The Tyler Fisher Show, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And his YouTube channel, which he said is exploding and is exploding for all the right reasons, go there. Great Fauci impressions, other impressions as well. Just kind of a potpourri of comedy sketches. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You don't know what to expect because they're always kind of shaking things up. And, of course, if you can't see him at a comedy club near you, just wait. He's going to be stealing a new indie western, Terror in the Prairie, this summer. Tyler, thanks so much. Thanks for being brave. I appreciate your journey and sharing it with us. Thank you for helping out and sharing it all. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Thank you, as always, for listening to Ride on Hollywood, part of the Just the News podcasting family. Well, I spent the weekend in Minnesota with my family, my extended family on my, on my bride's side, two brothers-in-law and a lot of sisters-in-law. My wife is part of a pretty big family. Now, we didn't go online too much. We weren't obsessed with our screens. We played a lot of foosball, and my aching wrist will tell the tale. Uh, and we just talked and had conversations and drank some adult beverages. And, of course, we watched Sling Blade, which my brothers-in-law hadn't seen in a long time. I think one actually never saw it, so in honor of Sling Blade... Mm-hmm. But, you know, the whole getaway reminded me that we don't have to see eye-to-eye on politics to get along. I think my brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law all kind of fall on different points of the political landscape. But one, my sister-in-law, I don't know if she would call herself a socialist, but she's adjacent to socialism, that's for sure. But you know what? She's also a very kind person. And when my wife had some an issue of breast cancer for two years ago, she really rallied. She flew to visit us. She took care of my wife. And I'll never, ever forget what she did for me and my family and my wife. So, you know, do our politics matter? Could we have brought up all the latest headlines about Disney and grooming and start a huge fight? I could have done it. And she could have done it. And we didn't. Neither of us went, no, didn't go anywhere near that. We had a great time. Just had a good conversation, good laughs, good memories, and I can't wait to do it again. And I think, I think there might be a lesson there somewhere. I don't think it takes too, too much investigation to find it. But uh, anyway, for now, thank you for listening to the show, and let's circle back next week for more episodes of Right on Hollywood. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at HollywoodandToto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever.